Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. It's Antoinette Latouf. Today's briefing is a super important and timely topic and it's because it's going to help you wade through the misinformation and disinformation about the Israel-Gaza conflict and there is so much of it. Social media platforms have been flooded with doctored images, mislabeled videos, fake videos and images of graphic violence that aren't even current. Katrina, you had a look into this. What did you find? Well, with a number of recent layoffs at Meta, which owns Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp, and also a change in the verification process over at X, formerly known as Twitter, it has become so much easier for this mis- and disinformation to proliferate and really hard for us as consumers to figure out what's real and what isn't. We identified 12 false narratives that were getting significant traction within the first uh, 24 to 48 hours that achieved more than 22 million views um, on a few of the main platforms on X, TikTok and Instagram alone. There were 22 million views of these false claims. And that was just in the first couple of days of the war. From anonymous videos to fabricated White House memos, our briefing topic today has some really important tips on how to wade through the flood of all of this information and also how the big social networks are being held to account. But first, here are the headlines. It is Wednesday, the 18th of October. Well, this is a story that is just a devastating development in Gaza. An airstrike has hit a hospital, killing hundreds of people, although the exact number is yet to be confirmed. Local doctors and medical international human rights group have for days been pleading with the Israeli government to switch electricity back on, allow medical supplies in the country because doctors are struggling to do their life-saving work. But it's impossible to get info on the ground out of Gaza since Israel has cut off power. It'll be really interesting too to hear what um, the US President Joe Biden will say about all of this. He's set for a, a very personally risky visit to the Middle East. He'll stop in Israel as well as Jordan for a meeting with Arab leaders. Uh, the US reportedly only agreed to the trip after Israel agreed to move on humanitarian aid and safe areas for civilians to avoid the bombing. Uh, President Biden also warned Israel publicly over the weekend that a ground incursion would be a mistake. Um, and since then, that has been paused for now. Um, his visit was also a precondition that the water supply be restored to southern Gaza and accounts on the ground are that only a trickle is getting through. And as if the devastation couldn't get any worse, there are 45 Australians that are still stuck in the Gaza Strip and the Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles confirms it's likely there'll be no more government flights to get them home. But the first of the two repatriation flights out of Tel Aviv in Israel landed in Sydney overnight. You feel so much guilt in leaving Family. More than 250 Australians have so far been flown out. And Antoinette, speaking of, you know, mind-blowing things that you see and you're just not sure whether they're true or mm. not, um, I was scrolling Instagram late last night and I noticed you picked up on this on your stories that um, the model Gigi Hadid had been personally called out 
by the Israeli government's official social media accounts. Tell us about this. Yeah, so Gigi Hadid is, uh, her father is Palestinian, so she's often used her platform to sort of call out human rights atrocities as she sees them. And it obviously, you know, at times doesn't make her very popular or makes people uncomfortable. It's one thing for those with differing views on the conflict to weigh in, but this was the the official account of the Israeli government um, and <clears throat> saying a whole bunch of things, but including um, a pretty threatening line like, we see you. Um, and I was just like, wow, while people in Gaza are literally struggling to eat, they don't have electricity, they're definitely not on Instagram because they have no access to the internet. I just thought it was this wildly stark contrast. Australian journalist Chung Lei has spoken out for the first time since she was detained in China for three years, accused of supplying state secrets overseas. Chung has confirmed the allegation made against her was sharing a government briefing which had been provided to media under embargo, and she'd broken that embargo only by a few minutes. In China, that is, that is a big sin, that you have hurt the motherland and that state's authority has been eroded because of you. Chung Lei speaking on Sky News there. Uh, she also shared more information about how she was arrested, saying she was taken into custody after she'd been called into a meeting to supposedly discuss an upcoming series. Oh my God, that is wild. Breaking an embargo by a couple of minutes. I've done worse things on the daily as a journalist. And by worse <laughs> things, I mean, that's not a very bad thing, by like breaking an embargo by a couple of minutes. Um, but it is such good news to have her safely home. Cheng was initially placed in six months of isolated detention, provided with 15 minutes of a small open window to allow fresh air in each day, but never going outside. She said the first thing she did since coming home to Melbourne was obviously hug her two children who were being looked after by her mother during her ordeal um, and to go to the Victoria markets. Um, it's no surprise, though, of her treatment, um, as you know, devastating as it was. China ranks 175th out of 180 in the World Press Freedom Index um, and is the world's largest captor of journalists, with at least 113 currently detained. And Netflix has released images of the final series of The Crown, which will show Princess Diana's final days. Aussie actress Elizabeth Debicki returns with the first four episodes to be released November 16. And Katrina, producers have vowed to handle Diana's death sensitively. How confident are you that that's going to happen? Well, I'm not sure because what we have heard is that Diana is going to return in ghost form. Oh my <laughs> Oh my God. Which doesn't sound too sensitive to me. I'm not too sh Well, I don't know. Maybe she'll be a sensitive ghost. But uh, <laughs> apparently people from the palace have mixed feelings about that, as, as you probably would. But it does look like it will be beautifully shot. And, you know, Netflix producers have never made a secret that while trying to be a bit faithful to some historical facts, it's not an autobiography or, oh. a you know, a, a, a true true sort of historical, um, faithful historical reproduction. So they have got some creative license. So, yeah, I'm keen to see how they're going to exercise that with um, Diana returning in spiritual form. Yeah, and I hear Kate Middleton's character is going to appear. Um, you know, I just think... 
I mean, I think it's pretty hilarious. I also think it's pretty insensitive to bring. It's like, we want to keep Diana's character for as long as possible. So we're just going to bring her back as a ghost. We've got this, guys. We get very sensitive. We're very sensitive. She's just going to be a really, she's going to be a really nice ghost. Yeah. All right, Antoinette, up next, we are doing a fascinating briefing topic on how to wade through the facts from the fiction, from the lies in the Israel-Gaza conflict. The bombardment of false images, memes, videos and posts about the Israel-Gaza conflict, mostly generated from within the region itself, is making it really difficult to figure out what's real. It's causing panic buying and unnecessary evacuations. People are emptying their bank accounts in some areas as they brace for attacks that they've been warned of online but aren't actually true. And it is shaping global opinion in a dangerous way. Social media has historically played a really important role in wars and humanitarian crises. It allows citizens to show the world what's really going on on the ground. And it provides a super important source of emergency information. But what happens when some of this information isn't true at all or is being misconstrued to suit bad actors? How do you tell the difference? And how do you stop it? Eric Efron is the editorial director of NewsGuard, which is an organisation of journalists. It's set up in nine different countries, including Australia, and their whole mission is to get to the bottom of false narratives. Eric, thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. First up, can you explain for us in this context, what is the difference between disinformation and misinformation? So disinformation is intentional misinformation, if you will, that's advanced uh, in order to push um, a false narrative. We often associate these with state-sponsored misinformation, the kind of propaganda that comes out of you know state media like um, RT and various Iranian publications, et cetera. Um, so that's disinformation because there's an intent there. Misinformation just means it's wrong. So um, it could be wrong for sincere reasons. Somebody is just genuinely confused. Um, and it's not, uh, it's not done um, in order to advance a, an, an agenda. So how soon after Hamas launched its attack did both disinformation and misinformation begin spreading? Within just the first 48 hours, starting with the, um, the October 7th um, assault by Hamas, we just immediately started finding these as we monitor different websites and social media platforms. We identified 12 false narratives that were getting significant traction within the first uh, 24 to 48 hours that achieved more than 22 million views um, on a few of the main platforms on X, TikTok, and Instagram alone. There were 22 million views of these false claims. And that was just in the first couple of days of the war. We're now identifying literally several a day. And what we mean by that when we say we identify them, we identify them, we research them, and we write reports that explain what the claim was, why it was wrong, what the evidence of it was um, that it was wrong, how much spread and engagement it's getting, and so on. So if my news organization did nothing else but track 
false and misleading claims um, coming out of the the region right now, we would be working full time. Oh, so are there certain social platforms where it's easier for this false content to both be created and also spread? Among the mainstream platforms, um, I think it is fair to say right now that X, um, formerly known as Twitter, is the platform that's lending itself sort of most um, easily to these kinds of false narratives. You know, I think as a lot of people know, when um, when Elon Musk took over Twitter, one of the first things that he did was either eliminate or greatly reduce the resources that the platform was devoting toward um, verification and moderation and things like that. Really, since the early days um, of the Elon Musk ownership of, of Twitter, now X, there, there has been a, a big, sharp increase um, in false narratives, but we, we've really seen it uh, dramatically relating to the war. Other platforms have weak standards as well, you know, some of the edgier ones um, like Rumble, but for the most part, Facebook, Instagram, the other kind of what I guess we would consider the more mainstream ones have pretty, you know, tightened up um, on their standards over the last couple of years as, you know, false claims have gotten to be kind of more in people's um, attention and more concerns have been raised about it on social media. So your team has identified a number of myths that are spreading across the different platforms. Can you tell us a story about one of them, which um, perhaps our listeners might have heard of? There was a famous, uh, I don't want to say famous, but a pretty high profile incident a couple of days ago where um, a CNN team was really kind of stuck in a bunker with missiles landing all around them. Um, and, you know, the reporter was, you know, like understandably terrified. She was, you know, swearing a little bit. Um, and someone uh, took that video and put a voiceover on it. And the voiceover was a voice that was stage directing the CNN reporters saying, can you make the sound a little louder? You know, can you can you move over to the left as if the whole thing was staged? So, you know, there's just uh, endless deviousness and um, and uh, mischief that's going on right now. And obviously it's dis- it's disturbing because the stakes are so high and there's such a fog in any war. But I think that, you know, as we've advanced with our digital tools and software, um, it's gotten easier and easier to put very convincing false information out in close to real time. Yeah, you also identify um, a video that showed a film crew gathered around a child on the ground, which did the rounds on TikTok and X. Um, The child appears to be pretending to be dead. So this was put out this month in October. This child is lying in a puddle of blood. And that actually ended up being behind the scenes filming of a short film that was posted to TikTok in April 2022. So my question is, first of all, how do you identify these false narratives and and this false content. And then I guess I'd love some tips on how we as regular consumers um, wade through this ourselves. NewsGuard is really a journalism organization. We have 
um, a team of, uh, of journalists, dozens really all over the world. So we have people that are monitoring all the, uh, the social media platforms uh, that we've rated um, as a news organization, we've rated over 9,500 websites. So we have really an amazing database of that talks about, uh, indicates the, the, the standards that are used by these websites. So first of all, we have some tools that we use. We also know where to look. We use some um, media monitoring software that helps us identify keywords that we might be following. And also just by following the news, you know, you kind of, and this might dovetail into your second question is, how does anybody find uh, or know what, what they're getting is, might be real or false? And so one, and this might seem really obvious, but if you see something that looks really crazy and out there and you haven't seen it in any other source, that's a sign, not necessarily that it's not true, but it's a sign that you should probably be a little skeptical and do some Googling around and make sure that um, that claim hasn't already been debunked because there's a pretty vigorous community of fact checkers out there. The other thing is to really try not to become too dependent on you know any one or two sources. But I think the, the main thing is to be skeptical, you know, to understand, and I hate to say this, but there's a lot of bad players out there with bad motivations. Sometimes the false claims is simply motivated by money. They just want to have exciting content that's going to get a lot of eyeballs and then generate, you know, advertising revenue. Um, I think in the context of something like a war, I think the motivations are probably tend to not be financial as much as, you know, political and ideological. Um, and so what, what I'm getting with this is it's good to also try to think about what could the motivations be of the source? Might there be an agenda that they're not disclosing? Don't take anything for granted. Um, we found a tremendous amount of false claims that are based on presenting what looks like a legitimate source, you know, a BBC logo the masthead of a legitimate newspaper, but with an article. And so it looks credible. It turns out that it was a Photoshop job and that newspaper or BBC never had such a report. So it's not easy. And um, one of the reasons NewsGuard came into existence was because we found this problem so concerning and felt the need to try to um, help consumers make better choices about the information in the news that they consume, which is why when we rate websites, well, of course, we do look and sort of at the micro and are we, we're looking at, are they publishing false claims? We're also looking at their standards more horizontally. Um, do they run corrections? Do they tell you who owns them? Do they separate news and opinion? Um, those things seem kind of benign, but they kind of add up to a pretty good picture of a website's standards and practices. And if a website is, um, is shoddy two months ago, they're probably going to be shoddy now. So, you know, you get to kind of make a, a judgment about um, how much credibility to bestow on a particular source. 
That was Eric Efron, who's the editorial director of NewsGuard. And Eric mentioned earlier that you can head to their website to check out the current myths that are circulating involving the Israel-Gaza conflict. That's over at newsguardtech.com. And uh, this is also uh, set up in Australia. They have journalists right here in Australia investigating some of the viral content that's uh, circulating in this country too. Listener.